Welcome to this week's episode of Real Estate Served on the Rocks. On this week's episode, the guys go over different things that you can do to help sell your house in this market, like pricing, marketing, and certain strategies you might want to use when your house has been sitting for a while, all while enjoying Basil Hayden 10-Year Bourbon. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Real Estate Served on the Rocks, brought to you by Living in Colorado, The Mile High Perspective on YouTube. My name is Charlie Sardelli, and I am here with... Jameson Amaros. And guys, again, Oscar's in the barrel. He, uh, it's starting to get cold, so he got hit with a little bit of a bug. So he's back in the barrel for today's episode. It's like a, like a timeout. Yeah, right. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I mean, and, and I feel bad for him, man. I feel bad for him, right? Because it feels like every time we have a good bottle, Oscar's not here. I know. He was right? real upset. He's missing he missed one. the Dexter. Well, I mean, we don't know if this is a good bottle. but True. It's all, things, all things equal. Yes. I mean, a 10 years should be a pretty good bottle. Yep. We'll see. Absolutely. We'll, we'll see. guys, remember, we bring you our episodes uh, every week on YouTube between Monday and Wednesday for the video. And every Friday, we drop the audio for the podcast. You can find us on Apple uh, iTunes you can find or podcast. You can find us on Spotify. Pretty much anywhere that you find a podcast, we're there. We are there. We are there. We are there, baby. <laughs> so, guys, remember, like, we're follow, subscribe. We're like the subscribe. bed bugs in Paris, France right now. We're everywhere. Every, everywhere. Have you seen that? Omnipresent. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah. it's ugly. It's ugly out there in Paris. <laughs> Feel free, you guys. Drink some wine. Um, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's bad. It, geopolitically, it's just ugly all around. It really is. You yes. know, it, it, is super, but, it is super depressing right now. It, it, it is. But you know what? That's why he got fine bottles of bourbon. Yeah. To, to yeah. enjoy it yeah. with. It is. Right? Yep. Yeah, and, it's, you know, like I said, guys, not only do we talk about real estate on this podcast to bring information to you, but... We enjoy bourbon. We talk about bourbon. And honestly, at this point, this is episode 42. I, 42 different bourbons. It's getting to the point now where I can legitimately like smell a bottle. Oh, yeah. And be like, oh, wow, this must be yeah. a small batch. Yep. Like, it's wild. Yeah. It, it's incredible. And so, guys, you know. Yeah, uh, was it? I think it's Peyton Manning. When they talk about ex- being an expert in something, mm-hmm. it's like 10,000 hours is, makes you the preemptive yeah. you know whatever mm-hmm. we're approaching <laughs> close to it close to it and i mean it's, it's funny because we've had things from the brown bag all the way to I don't know why we keep bringing dexter it up. and you have to bring it up man. Yeah, it's, it you know everybody starts somewhere no, and unfortunately just, some people start yeah there it's when just it comes one of those things i'd rather forget you know what i mean it's like <laughs> it's like those sketchy nights in college with like that mm. one person you're like you know what? i just don't want to talk about that ever again yep that's why when you say the word fireball most people oh, cringe yeah mine's cuervo <laughs> Thank you, JC. Cracking, cracking rum oh. for me. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> Actually, no. You know what? I take that back. Uh, McCormick's flavored vodka, mm. but we would match the flavor with a Gatorade, and we ooh. call it Faderade. And we were just <laughs> trouncing around CU. But you stay in hydrated, uh, baby. Yeah. So I'd be like, all right, well, it's on sale. Oh, orange McCormick's cool. Then we go to the dorm and we pop out an orange Gatorade, dump half the orange Gatorade out. Fill it half of the orange McCormick's and head to a party and wonder why we blacked out in two hours. <laughs> weird. Mine was UV blue. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh man, what was it? UV blue and uh, UV blue and lemonade. Yep, was the big one. And don't forget North Carolina. So had to throw in some of that Bojangles sweet tea. Oh my God. Did a did an Arnold Palmer with UV blue. Ooh, let me tell you, there was. <laughs> Couple times before we even left the room, that bottle was done. Yeah, yeah. woke uh, up in the middle of a of a dance session. Like, whoa, we're so much more refined now, <laughs> right? We t- sip whiskey. Yes, yes. Out of out of highball glasses. We, we give it. We give it our completely unprofessional <laughs> opinions. <laughs> Just as you as you can hear as we talk about our endeavors with alcohol. Right. <laughs> well, today, guys, we are the, professionals. That's it. We're professionals, no doubt yep. about it. On today, we're we're you know th- this bourbon that we're drinking is. 
a, I don't want to say a household name, but a bar name, right? We always talk about how yeah. you, you, have these, you have these bourbons that when you go into a bar, they're considered top shelf. When you hear the name, you go, oh, this is a, yep. this is a high-end bourbon, right? So things like Weller, things like Blanton's. What we're drinking today is a Basil Hayden, but it is their 10-year. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you what, I mean, we, haven't, we didn't even do the neck pour on this one this week. Um, but just looking at the bottle, the color, like it's, it's cool because if you, if you look at the bottom of the bottle, you see that more of that light amber. Yes. But then when you look at it, you really see the age yes, you that do. you get yeah. from that 10 years. Yeah, because I want to say they're like their normal Basil Hayden toasted and Basil Hayden rum cask and all the other ones they have. I'm going to go ahead are, and pour it out. Are a three year. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you're talking, let me do the math real quick. Uh, seven more years in a barrel, which really brings out the flavor in the woods um, and the char. So um, it's it's definitely darker, which you should see mm-hmm. in in a ten year. Uh, and I mean, Basil Hayden's is it's Jim Beam, right? Yep. Like essentially, it's just the yeah, artfully aged by the James B. Beam yeah. Distilling Company. And it's funny, like I, I you know, since we started delving into the bourbon and actually looking at it. I would, I would venture to say that there's a lot fewer barrelers than people would think. Well, so as, as, <laughs> as we were literally, as this thought crossed my mind, right? It's like Volkswagen, mm-hmm. right? But they're owned by Porsche. Yep. So you have Porsche and you would never drive a Porsche and go, man, this reminds me of my Jetta. Mm-hmm. But it's the same manufacturer, right? Yep. Same with Lexus and yep. Toyota. Yeah. Like it's the same manufacturer. So there's Honda ele- and Acura. There's elevators that are made by Ferrari. They don't go any faster than any other elevators. Samsung makes tanks, everybody. Oh, they do. You're right. <laughs> yeah, they yeah. make tanks. They built one of the largest cruise ships in the world yep. and mm-hmm. the Burj Khalifa, the largest building in the world. Yeah, in Dubai. Yeah, partly yeah. partly built, built by, by Samsung. Samsung. It's like it, it's just wild. And and then you, you start thinking about the whole supply chain of it and how everything gets affected. And you're like, oh wait, that makes a lot of sense. It like, does. One of these one of these barrelers goes down. How many different bourbons right. are going to be affected? Like, honestly, that'd be a, that'd be fun to to touch base with some of these guys and be like, hey man, just quick question for you: Would you prioritize your Basil Hayden line over your J- Jim Beam right? line? Like, if something went wrong, right? What what would happen? I mean, I'm sure that they have. Like, if your house is on fire, and you have to save your girlfriend, your dog, a million dollars, or your Xbox. What do you do? And you can only save one. Yeah, wh- which, which one do you do? Which one are you escape? Exactly. From? That, that, you know, I'm gonna see if I can reach out to some. That'd be kind of funny, actually. Yeah. See, see with yeah, oh, your buddy that you mentioned the other week, yeah, who does the barrels. Oh yeah, he would be interested. Man, to I gotta, talk re- to I gotta reach out to Noah. Yeah, you're right. I do. Yeah. Well, today's like we said, Basil Hayden ten year. I mean, just pouring it out, I it. The color on it is amazing to me. Like when I think of premium bourbon, mm-hmm. that's the color. That I mean, it it almost looks metallic. Yeah, like like yeah. a mirror. It's clear. It, it's a darker darker amber. Honestly, more resembling the wood that it came from. Did you did you see what what the cask was? Uh, I know. No, it was. Um let me pull it up while you continue to talk and fill up space. Oh, I will fill up the space. Thank you. Keep All filling, of the spaces. Keep filling the space. Right? I mean, I, at the end of the day, like, oh, just I gotta put my Basil Hayden in. in general, the, their marketing, the, their rap is very well known. Like, that, yes. that's, that. I think it's copper bar yep. around the bottle. Again, it just puts it in that higher regal space when you see it versus just a regular printout of, you know, even like we saw last week with Jefferson, just like a plastic cutout on the bottle to see through. I think it adds a level to it. And a lot of the time, Basil Hayden, especially when you go 10 year, mm-hmm. you're talking in bars, $20 plus a pour for, you know, just neat, a regular ounce, two ounce pour. Um, 
but even I'm glad that we have it sitting here and opening just because I feel like that. Yeah, it's just gonna, a charred American oak barrel is what, oak. It's, what it's aged in. Okay. American oak. Yep. Nice. Well, and I mean, but for 10 years. Yeah. 10 and years. I don't know that we talked about this previous episode. I don't know how many seconds they charred it. Yeah. Yeah. I think the average, <laughs> like for good barrels is mm-hmm. 35 seconds. Okay. Or no, 30 seconds. 30 seconds. You go 35. Yep. So it could be 30 seconds, but you know, like we talked about, the more it interacts with the wood, mm-hmm. the more layers of flavor and tannins and, and sugars come out. Yep. So on, on, on face value, it should be more complex than a lot of the other bourbons that we've yeah. tasted before, yeah. which is good for today's topic. So, absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. And on today's topic, guys, we're going to talk about um, basically how to sell your home in a, in a difficult market, like, like in we're a high now. rate market in a high rate yep. market. Um, we're going to give you some, some tips and tricks as to how you can position it, how to price. And then let's say your home's been sitting on the market for a little while. How do you, how do you attack that? How yep. do you try and swing things in your favor to, you know, bring buyers in, but also make sure that you capitalize yep. on, on the sell price of your home? Yeah. Cause I mean, there's, there's three, there's three main components, right? It's the science of pricing and then it's the science of actually marketing the home, both from a physical standpoint and a, you know, virtual standpoint. And then the strategy of, well, now I'm on the market. How do I get this thing to sell mm-hmm. if I really need it to sell? And it's complicated. And there's not an exact science to it no. as with any other, you know, free market commodity, mm-hmm. which is what housing is. It's tough. So we're going to give you guys a little bit of a breakdown so that, you know, if you are thinking of selling this your house in, a, in this rate environment, I think is what we decided because yeah. rates could go back up. They could go down. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're in a unique spot now. We've talked about it multiple times. High rates, low inventory high home prices, like what are you supposed to do? And I've, I've mm-hmm. talked to people left and right about what should I ha- list my house for? And if you pull comparables, uh, a comparable analysis in any given neighborhood, it is, I am not, shit you not, mm-hmm. all over the place. Oh yeah, so, well, it, it's so hard. A complicated bourbon to talk about a semi-complicated subject. Mm-hmm. And hopefully you guys get to enjoy both. If you only get to enjoy one, we're going to enjoy both. Yeah, so, we're going to enjoy both. Uh, also, I got to give a quick shout out. So yeah. I found out, uh, I have a great aunt that lives in Florida originally from Puerto Rico, uh, Body is her name. And I just found out that she listens to this podcast every single week. So shout out, Body. I appreciate it. That, Thank you for awesome. the love. It's awesome. She says we sound professional. So Ooh. I think we are getting across what we want to get across. Yes. But uh, That's awesome. So yeah, that's pretty cool. It's so funny. My my grandma did the same thing. Yeah, she, cool. she called me. She was like, oh, yeah, Charlie, that episode was great last week. I, I really like I really liked the topic. I was like, you're listening to this? Yeah. She's like, yeah, I watch it every week. Yeah. Like, Thanks, Grandma. Yeah, that's awesome. It. it matters, right? <laughs> yeah. like, support matters. And we appreciate Absolutely. everybody that supported us. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we haven't shouted you out, you, you know who you are. But um, keep tuning in every week and, and let us know what we can talk about, how we can help in different topics. I know you guys on the internet have all sorts of opinions. Uh, I spend <laughs> oh, half of my time them. arguing with them. So, yeah, let us know what uh, what you guys want to talk about. Like and subscribe. Obviously, it's the Mile High Perspective on YouTube, like Charlie said, living in Colorado. And uh, we're Colorado-based realtors. It's here to uh, teach you about where we're at the housing market and drink some 10-year-old bourbon. 10-year-old bourbon. Thank Appreciate you, man. Thanks for uh, thanks for grabbing the bottle and and, and going out because this is like I said, if you're if you're out yeah. in the wild at a bar, this is not one that you're. No, I saw can, it and I was like, ooh, yeah, not one you're gonna sit down yeah. and be like, I'm gonna order this. Just this is an occasional, yes. an occasional bourbon for yeah. sure. But again, just I mean, the color on it, the the legs, even I know that's a. I was gonna thing, say but, the yes, but still, like it, I'm seeing three, yeah, it's, four maybe. It's sticky. <laughs> that's it is sticky. Mm-hmm. And just, the, I mean, the color alone, like this it's is thick, like T H I C C thick. T- <laughs> she thick, she boy. thick boy. She thick, That's boy. thick boy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm gonna go ahead and give it a, give it a noser mm. here. Man, for a ten year, not a lot of burn. Up no, 
I get just sweet notes. Sweet forward. Yep. Very, very coming through. Got some dried dried apricots ish. Yep. The spice is subtle. Mm-hmm. I would I would have expected it to be a little bit a little bit heavier. Um, but I mean, just just the the scent, the smell alone. Not a lot of not a lot of alcohol for for a ten year. Very sweet forward, which is surprising to me. Um, but the I think the notes on this are <coughs> supposed to be caramel, um, vanilla, right? right? Yep. Um, let me pull it back up because they have it. Um, yeah. So the taste is oak caramel sweetness and rye spice. It is a high rye high rye mash bill. Yep. So it should have a little bit of a bite to it. But here's the other thing with this, right? It's it's a ten year. It's only eighty proof. Yeah. So it's mm-hmm. it's forty percent. Yeah. So it shouldn't have a ton of bite. No. Um, but I mean, even just for the high, for it being high rye, yeah. the, the the sweetness yes. forward is surprising. Mm-hmm. All right, let's go ahead. Let's go ahead and get a sip in. But cheers. Okay, I'm gonna have to get a, a second sip in after that one because I don't know about you. I wasn't. The first sip was a little was a little um, underwhelming. I mean, it is a neck pour. It is, and we said this last week after it opened up after a little yeah. bit, where all of a sudden it was a different bourbon. Mm-hmm. Um, it's definitely. I mean, it's it's high rye. Yeah, I can taste that in the front end. Mm-hmm. Um, but surprisingly smooth as well. It is. It just overpowered some of the sweetness mm-hmm. initially. Yeah, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to go in for a second sip. Of it. <laughs> okay. This is. Yeah. Did not. It's definitely an eighty proof. I will say that. Yes. Yep. Definitely eighty proof. The smoothness is very surprising on at mm-hmm. first, but the level of complexity that it has, like a lot of the time you, you, you sip a bourbon and within the first five seconds, you're like, oh, there's, there's the wood. There's the, this one evolves. Mm-hmm. Like I would yeah. take a sip, give it, give it 20 yep. to 30 seconds mm-hmm. and sit on it because first, like you said, that the spice comes forward, you yep. get, you get that char. And then it kind of tailors off a little bit in, into the spice. And now just sitting on the tongue, like you get that breathing, that air passing over your tongue. I, I feel the char on the back end. See, I'm getting bit. a lot of sweetness. Yeah, see, I get, well, after, like yeah. it, now it's a, that it's been sitting. Mm-hmm. I can pick up a little bit of the char, but the vanilla and the rye is definitely the, yeah kind of the, the overture. It's funny how the rye, you feel, it's almost like the, it's almost like a sour, yeah. it's like a sour patch mm-hmm. where like you feel it and it kind of like, Yep. Tightens your tongue up a little bit. But I bit. think that's gonna I think that's what's gonna loosen up yeah. as this as this opens. Mm-hmm. But see, even even it's funny because like this is something where y- you know, you, you would you would think I'm drinking this neat, and like a lot of the time people would would say, Oh, add a cube or something like that. But again, 80 proof, I don't I don't 80 proof is a good 80 proof is hard to add a cube to. Yeah, absolutely. It's just it's the oh, man, this is gonna be awesome to see open up. They're delicate. Yeah. This is gonna be yeah. this is gonna be real cool to see it open up. Interesting. Because even just even just in the in the two minutes. Mm-hmm. Mm. Okay. Interesting. All right, let's 
Let's see how this baby rocks throughout the episode. Interesting. Yeah, just way, very, very earthy. Yeah. Up front. And then again, just kind of that caramel and vanilla for a 10 year. That's, that's, I mean, I, I smelled it when I poured it out. Mm-hmm. But for it to be this dark, I did not expect it, especially yeah. with a high rye, to, to have this the sweetness right. that it does. Interesting. Okay. In, okay. Okay, okay. Right. I see. Well, and, and well, again, I mean, you guys have heard me talk about it all the time, but I'm I'm jaded as a bartender, right? With when it comes to bourbons, because a lot, like I said, the Wellers, the Blantons up at the top shelf, they're charging thirty five plus to to get a pour of it, and for me, it's like, no, oh, bro, get the, get the Buffalo Trace down here, like just to, to get the Elijah Craig, like <laughs> go go there. You're still okay. Yeah, you're gonna enjoy your, it. Ta- your taste buds are not that good. Yeah, exactly, not exactly. And I, and I'm not gonna sit here and say that mine are, but at the same time, it's. I have a vendetta when yes. it comes to bourbons yeah. like this because, yeah. you know, like yeah. being in the industry and how many times have you handed a check after they order something like this and they're like, where are you, man? Yeah. Like, no. Eagle Rare is $47. <laughs> like, well, you ordered it. So, yeah, yeah it yeah. is. You yeah. could have had young Eagle Rare mm-hmm. uh, for $22 if you wanted your uh, Buffalo Trace. Yep, exactly. Or Blanton's. Yep, Yeah. exactly. Okay, I'm interested. I'm going to let this Same. in for a little bit and not, not take a sip of it. Same. It's going to be hard because this is going to be a good one. But let's go ahead and flow into the, the topic for today. And again, we're talking about selling your home in, in a tight market, in a hard market. High interest rates, you know, other homes listed around you at the same price, if not higher. So the first thing that we want to talk about, and obviously one of the most important things when you're listing a house, is how do you figure out the price, right? Especially yeah. when you see other houses around you that are priced where you kind of want to be, but they're sitting on market for 20 plus, 30 plus days, right? So Jamo, t- take us into it. Uh, well, I think it's, un- it's important to understand the background of where we're at today. So I pulled market stats for September of 2023, and this is the dichotomy that we live in. Mm-hmm. Okay. So new listings, so new homes on market for the month of uh, September, and this is Colorado specific guys, but nationally it's directionally accurate. But if you go year over year, and if, if, if you remember, so last September, 2022, mm-hmm. we also saw rates skyrocket. Yep. That was the first time we had seen 7% mm-hmm. in 10 years. So now we're in the next September, we saw 7% again, mm-hmm. right? So what happened was, uh, even though people were used to it, new listings in September went from 5,200 2022 mm-hmm. to 4,500 in 2023. So you're talking mm-hmm. over the course of a month, that's a significant difference. Yeah. It, that affected under contracts. So we sold 200 some odd less houses this September than we did last September in Colorado. Directionally accurate, we normally average, uh, we talked about this on a different podcast, but nationwide we average like in a good market 5.6 million transactions. Yep. And we're on pace this year nationwide to do less than 4.2. Which is even lower than they predicted. Correct, lower yeah. than predicted. Number of home sales, again, so under contract home sales, so what's pending because they roll over month over month, mm-hmm. uh, went from 4,400 to 3,100. Wow. So it's 1,300 less homes that sold in September of 2023 than in September of 2022 when rates were essentially the same, mm-hmm. right? But in that context, average days of, or uh, the list price to sold price ratio went up. So it went from 98% to list to 99% to list. The average sold price of a house increased, okay, from <laughs> 671 to 692. So in a year, your home values went up twenty thousand mm-hmm. dollars. Looking at anybody here that says the market's going to crash, it's not. 
Uh, but check this out. So you had you had higher higher sold to list price, and your home values increased with less inventory. What do you think days on market did? Did they go up or did they go down? I think they went they went down. They went up. So they homes up. were sitting for longer, even though they were selling for more than they were last year. Huh. They're sitting for longer with less inventory. So the reason that's important is because you guys have to understand the dichotomy of mm -hmm. where we're at and why it is so difficult mm -hmm. to figure out how to list your house correctly, how to sell it correctly, and why there's so much confusion. If I were to give these stats to somebody, essentially the, the market is schizophrenic right yeah. now. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. Like that's, that's what's happening. But mm -hmm. that, what that means is, and what it tells me is, there's certain homes that are still selling quickly, and it's one of three reasons. They're either priced right, they're marketed correctly, or they had a strategy in place. Yep. And those are the three things we're going to talk about. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. So the number one, you alluded to it, pricing. How do I price my house? Mm -hmm. What do I do? Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Absolutely. Like, how do I price it? Because mm -hmm. like you said, people, now that there's Zillow and Redfin and everybody has access to what homes have been sold and so on and so forth, I get alerts from realtor.com every day. Well, this house sold in Castle Pines. And let's this not even talk about, talk about Zestimates, right? No, like, I'm not talking about I'm talking like people now, like think about it 10 mm -hmm. years ago. Yep. When this bourbon was first put in a barrel 10 years ago, the only way you knew that a home in your neighborhood sold for a certain price was you either picked up a newspaper or a mm -hmm. magazine, you were actively selling your home, mm -hmm. or you knew the neighbor that sold the house. Yeah. Now, you have that information instantaneously. Like mm -hmm. I have market alerts set up on Zillow, Redfin, and Realtor.com yeah. that tell me every time something in my neighborhood sells. Mm -hmm. It tells me the price, all that different stuff, right? Yeah. Everybody has access to that. So what's happening is people are seeing their neighbor's house to sell for a certain amount. Mm -hmm. And they're going, well, it's a similar model as mine, but why is it selling for this? And I want to sell my house for this, but I only got this, blah, 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 blah. That's where the, that's where well, the convolution And the reason in. I bring up Zestimate is because, like you said, right, more information does not always mean better. Right. And what I mean by that is with a Zestimate, a lot of the time people are going on and a Zestimate's giving them a range of like, hey, based on these factors, this is what we predict the home should sell for, right? So of course... As a homeowner, you're looking around, you see what the other people have sold, you put your home in, pulls up a Zestimate, and you're going, oh shit, I, that's 20000 more than I thought I could sell my home for. And now you're going, well, I'm going to do that because I want to capitalize, right? So, like, and that's what I mean, is just there's so much more outward influence mm -hmm. on the thought of what you could sell your house for than there has ever been. Yes. And in a market like this, this is not apples to apples. Like it's not, right. I can look at my neighbor's house and go, oh, well they have, they have the same, like you said, same layout, they have this. So yeah, I'm, I'm just going to go, I'm going to go with that, right? It, it, it's difficult as a consumer who doesn't know the market and is trying to track it to accurately present a price point for their home. So here's a perfect example, real life. Myself and my wife live in the same neighborhood as my parents, okay? The houses that we live in were built a year apart. The statistics of the two houses, my house is a four-bedroom, three-bath, 2,800 square feet of finished space that backs to an open space, right? Got a little covered patio. It's nice. We love it. Upgraded kitchen. I get estimates from different softwares that I could sell my house, quote-unquote, between seven hundred and thirty and seven hundred and fifty-five thousand dollars in my neighborhood. My parents, and when I say live in the same neighborhood, they're 10 houses away from me. Mm -hmm. They back to open space. They have 2,500 square feet of livable space. 
they've all they've got a three bedroom, two bath. They are getting estimates they can sell their house for seven hundred and sixty thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. Okay, so four bed, three bath, three bed, two bath, more square foot, less square foot. Yet one of the houses is edged up by twenty thousand dollars more than the other house. Mm-hmm. Right? If I were to list my parents' house, they'd be closer to eight hundred thousand dollars. Why? It's because of things that you don't necessarily see and algorithms don't pick up. Mm-hmm. Their open space that they back to versus my open space that I back to, uh, algorithm-wise, it's the same, right? There's an, I don't have a neighbor. They don't have a neighbor. They back up to private land with seven to 10-acre lots that will never be developed on with a view of the mountains right off their back patio. They have a walkout basement that's unfinished, but it's a walkout. I do not. Mm-hmm. Theirs is a ranch. Mine is a two-story. Talk about aging population. Baby boomers have some of the most equity. They look for ranches before they look for a two-story. So whose house would sell for more quicker? That ranch versus my house. Mm-hmm. Lot size is different. 14,000 square feet versus 6,500 square feet. These are all things that go into pricing yep. a home. That is why it is so convoluted. And you can't just look at, well, my neighbor's house sold for this and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about pricing, the strategy is very simple. We call it a price derivative, yep. but essentially it's you have market value of a house. Once mm-hmm. you do a comparable analysis and you say, okay, the, the, you know, the value of the house is about here. Every 5% you go under that market value brings 10% more buyers mm-hmm. into the fold to looking at that house yep. and it becomes a balancing act. You want more, more eyeballs on your home, obviously, because you want to sell it faster. Mm-hmm. However, if I price it 40% below market, and I have people competing for the house, I may end up 20% below market mm-hmm. versus if I only price it 5% below market and I've got one or two offers, I may end up at 10% below market or even at market price. Yeah. But it's going to take longer. Well, and that's, that's an important thing So it thing depends too. on the, the priority. Yeah, exactly. And that's exactly what I was about to say is it comes down to your priority, right? And another real life example, I know a client um, that has a, a home right now for sale in Castle Rock, it's a it's a ranch farmhouse. He has multiple dwellings on it, all that kind of stuff. And he listed it higher than market value, right? And when I talked to him about it, I was like, hey, so just quick question. Now, I don't represent him. He's not my client, but he is selling, so I want to get the input. And I said, hey, so what what do you what's your plan here? You know, you listed at at I would say 15 to 20% over market. What do you, what's going on? He goes, Oh, I just I wanted to be on market. I wanted to list. I don't expect to be out of here for another at least three months. I was like, what? That, that, you don't hear that normally, right? But then to your point, his priority is not mm-hmm. to just sell the house and get the money back. He understands that, no, longer on market, longer eyes come to it, more opportunity I have, people know about it. Cool, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to deal with it. But if you're in, someone's in a situation where they have, they just, a, new, they just, a new kid was born and they have to, they have to add another room or... or they're in that situation. That's a totally different pricing strategy than pricing to, to just sit on and, and mm-hmm. be in the market. <clears throat> and the, the flip side of that, when you purposely do overprice it and it does sit on market, yes, conventional thinking is the longer it's on market, the more people see it. Mm-hmm. But what you guys got to understand is the longer it's on market and the more people see it, the more they're going to think that something's wrong with the house. And, and you're as soon as hit. that starts to happen, now it becomes what we call a stigmatized property. Yep. And people will assume that it's not selling for a very specific reason, meaning when they do come to offer, psychologically, they are going to offer way underneath value because they're going to look at it and say, dude, you haven't gotten an offer on this place 
in 150 days. Why in God's name would I even give you market value if you have not gotten a single thing? So yes, there is a priority, right? But you still have to figure out like, is the goal to make as much money as possible mm -hmm. on the house or is it not? You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. And that's, um, it comes yeah. down to the owner and what they, right. what they want to do, what their purpose is. So that's where like, and it just goes to show, it's not a cookie cutter scenario. It's basically no. what we're trying to say. It's not something where you can look at Zillow, you can look at other homes around the area and go, yep, I'm going to list for this. Mm -hmm. Just like everything in a real estate transaction, it's dependent on the parties involved yep. and what they're looking at doing. Well, and it can, it can boil down to something as simple as this. Let's say that, you know, the market value of a house that I'm listing in Castle Rock is, I don't know, let's call it 710, okay? And the owner wants to list at 710, but also says, hey, I want as many people to see this house as possible. Well, in the age of SEO, search engine optimization, Google searches, filters, all these different things you can do. Algorithms. <laughs> for the most part, if I go on Zillow, and let's say I'm pre-approved for... Seven hundred and thirty thousand mm dollars. -hmm. I'm not going to say my price range is from six fifty to seven hundred and thirty thousand dollars. I'm going to say my price range is from six fifty to six hundred ninety nine thousand dollars. Right? Mm -hmm. That's most people. Yep. So if I am disregarding twenty percent of the buyer's market because I want to list at seven ten versus six ninety nine, I am putting myself and my client in a bad position to get mm -hmm. as many eyeballs as possible. Yeah, it's a ten thousand dollar difference, but if I'm at six ninety nine and I'm hitting those search parameters and those filters for all of those people that are looking around that price point, mm -hmm. then that behooves me to, to do that for the client and say, Hey, let's list at 699. Is it going to be $10,000 less? Maybe. But if you list at 710, my first price drop is going to be to 699 to catch all of those, all those people that have that search parameter based on what their pre-approval is. The second thing you look at that a lot of people don't think about is let's say I'm looking to list a, par a property in Parker, Colorado. And it's a certain size with a certain number of bedrooms. Um, and I want to capture people that are looking to move to Parker. When I look at pricing a house, the common theme is you want to look at comparables, right? We call them comps, but just comparable market sales of homes that have already sold. Not, within, not currently on market. Within the last three to six months. Already mm -hmm. sold. Because that is a that is a, a finite data point. Mm -hmm. Already sold within 0.25 miles. Yep. Okay? Which is... Normal thinking is is right, mm -hmm. right? And if I'm an appraiser, that's what I'm going to look at. But if I'm more trying to market a house, all I'm seeing is I want to capture people that are moving to Parker. Mm -hmm. And I need to understand that with current economic situations, I can work from home. Uh, houses are more expensive, so I'm going to go ahead and sacrifice a little bit on my commute. I'm going to say, okay, the people that want to buy your house want to live in Parker, Colorado. So what I would do, I would take your house and put those parameters in, you know, five bed, four bath, X amount of square feet and certain size lot and certain size of garage, like the basic yep. big things that people look at. And then I would look at Parker as a whole and say, how many houses are available mm -hmm. with that criteria within this city that people want to move into? And when I look at that, what is the average price? Yep. Do I want to be above that or below it? Mm -hmm. I want to be below it because yes, we may price homes at quarter mile away from where our listing is, yep. but people searching for Parker, Colorado are just searching Parker, Colorado, unless they happen to be looking at a very, very specific neighborhood. Yep. They're going to say, I want a five bed, four bath, two, three car garage house in Parker, Colorado mm -hmm. for under $700,000. If there's only three options, you're in a good spot and exactly. you can price accordingly. Exactly. But these are some different things to think about 
when you're looking at the price of your home. Don't just look at your neighborhood. Mm-hmm. If people want to move to Castle Rock, look at the houses that match your exact house specifications. Now you get the nuances of like finishes and upgrades and all that kind of stuff, but just the main stuff. I need a certain amount of bedrooms, certain amount of bathrooms, a certain lot size, and a certain amount of garage space. How many of those homes are available? What are they selling for? Yeah, that's it. That's, that's the easiest way to narrow it down. Mm-hmm. And you look at the entire city, and if you say, oh, there's 75 properties that match that description, and they're all priced here, you may have to go a little bit lower to stand out. Mm-hmm. Versus if there's three or four, you have the potential to go higher because there's not as much supply. Exactly, exactly. And that's why this market is such a unique scenario because mm-hmm. we don't have inventory, Correct. but homes are still selling. So now it becomes a thing of, okay, how do I, even if I price my home correctly, how do I go up against, even if it's only three, how do I go up against those other three homes? And that's and stand where the marketing comes in. Hey, yo, look at that. Boom. Right? Yep. And, and, you know, we've talked about this on, on a previous podcast. I think it was episode like 28, maybe. I'm just going to start calling them instead of episode 28. I think this is bourbon 27. Bourbon, yeah, bourbon 27. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just so people are like, wow, they really are alcoholics, but yeah. they're very good at the job. <laughs> We're not. We're doing this as a service to you. You're welcome. Yes. And, and, and so we touched on a bunch of factors, you know, and some of the smaller things. And that's what kind of what we went over in that episode. You, you could paint a door. Fix your mailbox. Well, yeah, let's, let, let's frame know, it like, up, right? Yeah. So let's say we get pricing correct, like you said. Mm-hmm. And we say, okay, this is the, these are the homes that are available within this price point. Whether it's a lot or a little, we know that interest rates are high. People are going to be more stingy with their money. Yep. So now you got the pricing figured out. Good. Step mm-hmm. one accomplished. We're well on our way. Step two is how do you properly market the house to get those eyeballs interested, right? Because the Mm -hmm. price is going to be the first thing Mm -hmm. that gets eyeballs. The second thing is when they actually tour the house, you hold an open house, a virtual tour, photography, et cetera. So now we're going to talk about what can we do in that arena Mm -hmm. to make it now, the price makes it appealing. How do we make it appeal to people's emotions so that they're actually invested in your property that you're trying to sell? So correct me if I'm wrong, but- I think personally, especially when listing and selling a house, the most important aspect is to allow the buyers to feel as if they already live there. Okay. So explain. And what I mean by that is if you walk into a home and you're you're going to do a showing, you're at an open house and it's completely bare. Okay. Are you going to, are you going to feel at home or are you going to feel like you're in a house that has nothing in it? Right. And the reason I say it like that is because There's something called staging in real estate when you list your home. And what staging is, is you hire a company, an individual that is good at interior decorating or understands the the common, uh, the the newest trends, right? Our mason jars in, our Edison lights in, these kinds of things. Should it be a leather couch? Should it be a fabric couch? They then bring in all of this stuff. They'll bring in something as small. I've even seen like a little serving platter Mm -hmm. with 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 one single flower in it on a bed, right? But what that does for the buyer is it allows them to imagine themselves moving around. And the reason that i moving around the home, living in it, and what it would kind of look like. And the reason I go right to that is because I just recently had a client, and we went to do a showing. And we walked in, and they had, they had you know, a couch set up. They had a, a dining room table, blinds, some pictures, stuff like that. And he walks in, and he goes, oh, wow, this, this kind of feels like a little cabin. Like, it, okay, th- th- this is cool. Like, I-, I like how this is laid out. I can, you know, everybody can sit here. All of my friends and family can sit here at this table. He's, that was staged. He was just making comments based on what he saw in the house. After we put the offer in, 
and we were waiting for the inspection to come. We walk in, and what happened? All the staging stuff was cleared. So he walks in and sees this house almost brand new because there's nothing in it. And then that's where he starts going, oh, well, that table was there, but the couch was, I could put a couch, I don't need to put a couch there, I could put a couch here, and oh, okay. So, it, like, think about the psychology of that. He comes in, he sees it at first and goes, oh, we can eat there, my family can enjoy this, I can see my mom, I can sit here and see my mom cooking in the kitchen over here. So then now he comes in and goes, oh, wow, I can, I can do whatever I want. Yeah, I can have this table here, and my, my dad can have his recliner here and still see my mom cooking in the kitchen. And it, So it's little things like that, especially with staging, that help you and help your buyers imagine being in the home and imagine what living in the home is like. So yeah, it might be another cost, right? But that's, again, that's another point to an agent. You know, having a good agent that has connections in staging and has proof that, hey, when we stage this property, it went versus we didn't stage this one and it didn't go. It's important because having that and, and intriguing buyers in that sense, you just connected them emotionally. It's hard to, hard to break that. And I'm glad you brought up the extra costs. We're going to touch on that in a second. But think about this. If I were to send somebody to purchase a bedroom set, okay? Mm -hmm. I want you to go buy bed, <laughs> bed frame, the mattress, the end tables, the dresser, right? Just go buy it. And I send you to a warehouse, like, I don't know, Costco. Some, I don't shop at Costco, but whatever. Where they just have like a wall mm -hmm. of cabinets and a wall of mattresses and a wall of whatever okay and i say just unlimited money pick something that's going to look good that person's going to stand in that store for hours debating hours. back and forth back and forth back and forth back and forth i give you the same amount of money and i tell you to go to ikea mm -hmm. what do you do you just pick a room yep and everything's laid out for you. And you can visualize yourself. Every single section of that store mm -hmm. is set up like a livable space to the point where they even have like, do you have a 300 square foot space? Do you have a 900 square foot space? Do you have a 1200 square foot space? Mm -hmm. This is how your bedroom could look. This is how your kitchen could look. So on and so mm -hmm. forth. The kitchens they have that are built to be kitchens are already set up. Yep. And it allows you to visualize yourself in the kitchen, in a living room. It's the same principle. I'll take it even step further. Why do you think Amazon invested millions of dollars in being able to artificially put an item in your room. Mm -hmm. You can artificially wear clothing. You could put a couch in your room yep. if you want to with your cell phone. Because when you can see it, when you can visualize it, it takes a load of stress off your brain. Mm -hmm. And cool, I see it here, that's what it's gonna look like, dope, I'll get it. Right? American Furniture Warehouse, same thing, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. Like, yes, they sell sets, but they position the sets, they have the couches, they've got fake popcorn, they've got fake drinks, they've got throw pillows, they've got blankets, they've got a movie playing on the TVs yep. in the living room set, and you're gonna go in there and go, well, wow, this just takes, like you said, the stress off. Mm -hmm. The same thing with staging a house. If I can visualize it in, in myself and my family in the space, yep. it is going to behoove me, it's gonna, it's gonna move me, I guess, mm -hmm. would be the better way to describe it, to, to wanna purchase that house, right? Yep. So on that being said, mm -hmm. to back up everything you said with my favorite thing, which is statistics. Give it to me, baby. Right? 81% um, of buyer's agents have said staging makes it easier for their clients to visualize the property as their own home, okay? 51% mm -hmm. said staging has an effect on most buyer's views of the home. 27% of seller's agents, so listing agents, said staged homes spend less time on the market. 23% of 
say they stage their homes for the clients before the sale. Now, that being said, it doesn't have to be the whole house. It could just be very specific oh, yeah. impact rooms, dining room, mm-hmm. a bedroom, an office, et cetera. And then 20% of all agents said that home staging increased a home's value by up to 5%. Mm-hmm. 14% estimated to be closer to a 15 to 20% increase in the home value sale. And it's just because if I walk into, I look at it this way, right? Like you, let's say you two are a house and you walk into one of your main criteria as a buyer is walk-in closet, his and her space, mm-hmm. right? Because I want my husband gets this tiny little corner, the wife gets the big corner with the shoes and the shelving rack and all that stuff. And let's say this house that you're touring has a phenomenal walk-in closet, mm-hmm. like one with a little island in the middle that you can see your jewelry in the, you know. Let's not even talk about like the Kardashian Kim Kardashian closet. Hey, there it is. <laughs> the Kardashian, right? So let's say you have that, okay? Yep. But now let's say it is full of just clothes it's not organized there's shoes on the floor Mm -hmm. and it's packed with all of your your stuff okay Mm -hmm. yes it's a nice walk-in closet but they're seeing clothes that aren't their style shoes that aren't their size i'm gonna do i'm gonna do one better i'm gonna throw up a picture on the on the video for you guys so check out the video i'm gonna throw up a picture i think it's chloe kardashian's pantry yeah it went viral like i think it was like two or three years ago because everything was neat and organized and then just i'm just gonna throw up i'll go on the mls And I'll, and I'll pick something and I'll, and I'll throw it up so you can see the comparison. Just again, because we like to have receipts, yeah. show you guys, right? Because right. we could talk about it all day, but, and we could give you stats. Right. But we found that no matter if we have stats to back it up or if we have the knowledge, people tend to, people tend to want to fight us on it. They really do. Right? Um, but to your point, right? So now let's say, you know, if I'm the listing agent, my thing is, hey, do you have a basement? It's unfinished. Why don't we move all your clothes to a clothing rack mm-hmm. and you guys put it in the basement while we show the house? Because at least if you're not going to stage something, people can walk into this beautiful walk-in closet. Yep. And if there's nothing there, it's clean, it's vacuumed, it's wood varnished, yet pledge, it smells good with a little, mm-hmm. you know, one of those little Febreze plugins or whatever. They can at least walk into the closet and visualize their own stuff. Yes. Their own shoes, their own clothes, et cetera. Nothing on the mm-hmm. shelving above, junk, anything well, like that. But visually, mm-hmm. it will make an impact because they're going to walk in that closet and think about it, right? If you walk into a friend's house, it's very personal to yeah. walk into a closet or a pantry mm-hmm. or things that aren't out in the open. Yes. A buyer is going to feel that same way. They're going to mm-hmm. feel like they're intruding on somebody else's space. Even though you've been invited to show the house, psychologically, a buyer that walks into a closet that is filled to the brim and messy with somebody else's stuff is going to feel like they are causing some sort of intrusion. Mm-hmm. And as soon as they feel uncomfortable, that is now going to impact the rest of of the house that they see. Yes. Absolutely. Or the way they see the rest of the house. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and something that, you know, Jimson mentioned it, but we kind of we kind of passed passed over it pretty fast. But I want to emphasize the fact that when you stage a home, you do not need to stage every room in the home. So if you have a ranch and you you want to sell, right? I would say you're gonna do the um, the primary bedroom, the kitchen, and the living room. And if you have if you have a dining room, if you have a separate eating space, maybe that, right? Because those are the main areas that homeowners are going to visit. They're going to walk through and they're, they're going to be in most of the time. They don't really care what a second or third bedroom is going to look like because they can do whatever they want with it. It's not, it's not the primary. So it's just an important fact to remember that, yes, there is a cost to staging, but what did we say? They, they sell on average... What was it? Five to fifteen percent over list. Over list, right? So or, sorry, five to fifteen percent more. More. So basically, the the math is another statistic. I know you guys hate these because it's like facts and it's weird. <laughs> uh, but if you invest 
1% of the home's purchase price in staging, you get about a 7% return on average. That is factual. Like that is a thing that they have studied. So if my home price is 600,000, I spend $6,000 on staging, I will see a 7% return. Mm. Okay? So you're talking $30,000 that you're going to see in return by spending $6,000. Okay? Um and the reason I bring that up for, for two reasons. Number one, the average cost to stage a room for a month, depending on the size of the room, is anywhere from 200 to 400 bucks per room per month. Mm-hmm. So to your point, master bedroom, an office, living, living space, mm-hmm. right? So let's say it's on the high end, it's $400 yep. per room. So it's $1,200 a month. Mm-hmm. If your house is on the market for three months, you have now spent 3,600 bucks, mm-hmm. okay? you can expect a 7% return on that off of the home price. So you can expect a return of, you know, if it's a $700,000 house, again, $37,000 by spending $3,200. It makes sense. So Charlie, you asked me, well, what if I don't want to spend that much money on staging? What can I do? Thank you for asking me. I have a solution for you. Oh, I've actually got a couple. Give it to me. Okay, cool. (laughs) Uh, Number one is there are people that we work with that are staging consultants. Mm -hmm. So a staging company, just so you guys know the way they work, right? And I'd love to actually have a stager come on the show. It'd be a super interesting conversation. A staging company will actually purchase the furniture, the decorations, the accent pieces, et cetera, Mm -hmm. all the way down to plates, whatever. Basically go to the Magnolia section of Target and they'll scoop everything up and throw it in your house and make it look pretty. I've seen them just pull up with a box truck full and they just pick from that. They will use their own furniture, their own supplies to stage the house. They then charge you for that service and you keep it in the room, in the house until you sell it, right? And they charge you that monthly rate, 200, 400 bucks, whatever it is per room. A staging consultant is a little bit different. They will charge a one-time fee. I work with a, with a lady that does it for $275 mm-hmm. that will walk your home for as long as it takes, give you, the client, a checklist of things that you need to move, clean up, remove, reposition, et cetera, to the nth degree um, in order for you guys to do that. And it costs, you know, 250, 275 bucks. She comes in, it's about three hours and that's the cost. And a lot of times like I'll pick up that cost for people because it doesn't mean a ton and I'm going to make money on the sale of the house anyway. But that now allows you to use your own furnishings and your own supplies Mm -hmm. to declutter and stage your home, remove pictures. And maybe, you know, I'll, I'll see if I can get a PDF of a blank checklist for you guys of what it looks like. But all you now have to do as a client is you go through the checklist and you just check off every single box. And it could be seven pages long, depending on what your house looks Mm -hmm. like. Um, But it saves you the cost of staging per month. Yep. And it it prevents you from having to feel like you're not living in your own house. Mm -hmm. And it's a lot cheaper. So that's option number one. Option number two is virtual staging. Hey, oh. You want to talk to me about virtual staging? Absolutely. Let's do Absolutely. It. So one thing that's, and, and honestly, this will move into my, my next point pretty, pretty well too. I know. One thing that really, that really worked about the pandemic for real estate is it made us innovate and have people see a home without being in it. Mm-hmm. So what virtual staging does, and if you've been to a Lazy Boy, if you've been to an Ashley Furniture, and again, like I said, you could do it on Amazon. What a virtual staging does is the photographer goes in takes a photo of your room, your house, certain certain areas, right, that you want staging to happen. You send it over to the company, and then the company will digitally render everything into that room. So there may not be couches, there may not be nightstands, but it will look that way. Can I pick the style? 
Absolutely. What's it cost? So it depends, right? And honestly, that, that's where it comes down to, again, having agents in your back pocket that have different resources that have used different people because one company may charge you an extra $50 for putting a leather couch on there or filling an entire room versus another company being like, no, we'll do the entire room flat rate. You just pick the, the layout. We're good to go, right? And so when it comes to virtual staging, it gives you, it gives you a, I mean, two advantages. One, you don't have to move it. You, know, you don't have to pay them to come lift that and move it, not leaving you know, the risk of marking the walls, leaving indents in the carpet, ripping the carpet, anything like that. Second, you, you can send it around and people mm -hmm. can, like we just said, imagine living in it. And you could even have different layouts in a room if you want to pay for it. You yep. can say, oh, this is what it looks like leather. This is what it looks like with a, with a, a barn aesthetic. Like, there's so much that you can do with it. And it leads me in, in, it, into the next point when we talk about advantages of what came out of the pandemic, 3D home tours, mm -hmm. okay? So we talked, you know, staging about how that can help you. A 3D home tour, and I, I, don't, I don't know if you have any stats on them available, but now we're moving into this VR age. Apple came out with a VR headset. We're on Meta 3 for, the, for that headset. People can now either on their phone or put on an entire headset and literally stand in your kitchen, mm -hmm. stand in your living room because there's a 360 camera that you just place down. It scans the entire room. And now that person that lives in North Carolina that's looking to move to California doesn't have to fly. Mm -hmm. They don't have to do the video chat with their agent where it's just like, hey, look at this. And it's all shaky. Now they're just standing in the living room and they go, wow. Okay. Yeah, that's a nice couch. Right? And, it's, and that's something that, again, you would think, oh, a 3D, 3D home tour. That, that's mm -hmm. going to that's gonna cost me a good bit. On average, if you look at photography packages, and a lot of the time agents will cover this for their for their clients, but if you look at photography packages, you're going to add a 3D. If they're not, they should be. Yes. If they're not, they should be. Absolutely. We're going to make that point. But you can, you can actually do a 3D home tour for only an additional $130. Mm -hmm. And that $130 is for the longevity of your listing. So you can have it. You don't have to stage it. Mm-hmm. Or you can virtually stage it because I've even seen some companies that do 3D home tours with virtual staging. So right there, you just saved, what, what did we talk about, $400 a room? Yeah. Right? So there's, there's options out there as to enhance it and make your marketing better and more you know, competitive. Because let's say you, you click on a listing, your agent sends you a listing, and it's a bare home, just has photos. Maybe there's some corners in the kitchen that they didn't hit. You can't really see the detail on the countertops. You can't see any marks on the walls or anything like that. Or there's a listing and you can literally click through and walk through the house mm -hmm. and see the walls. You can see what the kitchen looks like. You can see what the, the, the closets look like. You can stand in it. Yep. Which one do you think is going to get a better outcome? Yeah. And I think the, the overall theme to me, when you're talking about marketing, right, mm -hmm. the best marketing campaigns for anything, right? Like, because let's be honest, when you list your house, you're trying to sell it. Mm -hmm. Trying to sell the house, mm -hmm. just like anything else, right? Apple's trying to sell an iPhone. Uh, Tesla's trying to sell a car. Uh, you know. As much as people hate them, let's talk about prime energy drinks. Sure. Prime you want to talk drinks. about marketing? Yes. That is the cornerstone yes. of marketing, making but it a lifestyle. Versus the, well, it's a lifestyle, and it is, it is telling a story, mm -hmm. right? Exactly. So when you talk about listing the house, one of the things that we focus on as listing agents is how do we best tell the story of your home to resonate with the most amount of individuals that are going to come take a look at it. Mm -hmm. And we do that m a multitude of ways. Staging is in person mm -hmm. is the number one way to do it 
because you're telling the story of how the home is able to be lived in by you, for you and your family, the way you like it. Mm -hmm. Virtual staging is a way to tell that story virtually. If you can't be in there in person, you have to look on the website first, you're out of state, et cetera. And then if you look at a staging consultant, that's a way to have a hybrid of the two where it'll show up really well on photos. It'll also show up better in person, but you're not dropping the $400 a month per room. Yep. Uh, if you may don't, you know, you don't want to have that cost associated with it. Um, so there's ways, there's ways to do it, but the whole purpose is you have the price first, mm -hmm. which is going to entice people to come take a look at your house because they think it's priced correctly. It's worth what it's worth on the open market. You then go into the marketing piece and you tell the story. Mm -hmm. What is it like for you and your family to live in this home? And what are the things that we can consult on and do and provide research resources for to tell that story as effective as humanly possible? Mm -hmm. The third piece of this is, okay, you've got the first two in place, right? Yep. You've got your pricing, which allows the most amount of, of eyeballs and views. You've got the marketing piece, which tells the story, whether it's in-person, virtual, from different states. Now you're on the market. It's sitting. What do you do to, to, to move the actual property? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, that's, and that's a great point, right? Because and this is something that I think is very, very important to note is that you can do everything right. You can price your home right. You can pay for virtual staging. You can fix the rugs. You can paint the walls. You can change the cabinets. But your home could still sit for mm -hmm. 30 plus days, right? And that's where, like Jameson is saying, your strategy and things that you can implement during that time come into play, yes. right? So one of the biggest things that I think that you can do, right, is, and we talked about this a little bit on previous episodes, is offering mm -hmm. buyers certain incentives, mm -hmm. right? And the largest one right now, guess what the biggest pain point is? Everybody's complaining about it. Interest it's rates, right? So the largest one that you can do right now is offer a concession. Mm -hmm. And Jameson, can you can you explain in, in layman's terms what concessions are? Yeah, so a concession comes from the seller. And it essentially is credit given back to the buyer at closing from the seller's proceeds. Okay, so for simple math, let's say I owe $400,000 on a house. I'm selling it for $600,000. My proceeds, my profit, is going to be two hundred grand. I got to pay... Commission fees, I have to pay title insurance fees, closing costs, et cetera, right? So let's say after all that's said and done, I'm going to make $162,000 as a seller. A concession now says of that $162,000, i am going to give a certain amount back to the buyer for buying my home. And those concessions, that dollar amount, can be used for a multitude of things. The most wait, common- Wait, hold on, hold on, Jameson. So you're telling me that I'm selling my home and I'm trying to make money? I'm going to give the person buying my house money? Yep. I'm going to lose money? Yes, you are going to lose money. So, come on, man. What, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> so, if you talk about losing money, it's, it's all a matter of perception, right? Mm -hmm. Because you either have an offer on your house or you don't. And right now, what we've seen is most houses are selling for under list. I just, in September, it was 98% or 99% to list price, which mm -hmm. means whatever I'm asking for my house, I'm not getting. Yep. But I'm getting something a little bit lower, right? So, you can, you can lower the price of your home a couple different ways. You know, let's say I'm priced at six fifty. dollars $650,000, I've been sitting on the market for three weeks, nothing's happening, okay? If I lower my price by $15,000, so I go from six fifty dollars to $635,000 because I want to entice people to come, mm -hmm. to come look at my home because it's now it's, it's called a price improvement, which is just a weird thing. It's a price reduction. Again, marketing. Um, I know, right? <laughs> so let's say I, I, I tell my agent, hey, you know what? Lower the price by $15,000, okay? From a buyer's standpoint, that $15,000 difference makes 
a difference in my monthly payment as a buyer of like 75 bucks a month. Maybe. At most. Maybe. Okay. (laughs) That doesn't entice me. Mm -hmm. Like I'm buying, I'm spending over half a million dollars on a piece of property. $75 doesn't mean shit. Mm Mm-hmm. What if I do, what if I, I, I turn it and I say, okay, I'm offering, my house is offered at $650,000, but if you give me a full price offer, I will give you $15,000. To you, the seller, it's the same. Mm-hmm. Your doesn't affect net, your net, net proceeds net, net equal. at all. You're either going to take a price drop of, of $15,000, you are going to sell it at 635 dollars you're going to make whatever you're going to make, or you sell it at six fifty, dollars and you take $15,000 and you give it to the buyer, you're still going to make the same amount. Hey. But the difference is, the buyer can now take that 15000 mm-hmm. They can give it to their lender and they can say, hey, can you pay off the interest on my home loan for the first two years so that my interest rate and my monthly payment is significantly lower for the first two years while, while I live in this house? Mm-hmm. And what that does is buyers are thinking in dollars yep. and a price point dollar amount versus the monthly payment dollar amount mm-hmm. are two very, very different well, things. Yeah, exactly. And that's something that I was going to bring up too, right? When you're coming into buying a home, right? automatically in your mind, you're saying, I'm going to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars. That's not normal. We don't do that. Correct. But it's easier for us to mentally reconcile with 345000 400000 rather than going, oh, well, that means I'm going to spend an extra $800 a month. I, that's, a, that's almost $1,000 a month. I I get, what, I'm going to have to sacrifice so much if I have to mm-hmm. spend an extra $1,000 a month, yes. right? So what, what Jameson's talking about when it comes to concessions and, and the value of it is... Hey, I would rather, you know, or you, the, the buyer, the consumer that we're, that we're doing this for, if I were to come to you and say, hey, man, I, I know interest rates are near, near 8% right now. And if you buy a $450,000 house, your, your base cost is going to be above $3,300. Mm-hmm. But this house that I just found that we're looking for, they're going to give you $15,000 for just buying the house if we offer here. But we can use that $15,000 and buy down that interest rate. And I can save you maybe up to $300 or more. Oh, even more than that. Uh, right? On a, a $500,000 loan, a, a two to one rate buy down. So you buy down the rate. So right now rates are like 7.7, almost 8%. If you buy it down two, it's a two one means I'm going to buy it down for two years. Year one, I'm going to buy it down by 2%. So it's going to be, from, it's going to go from a 7.7% interest rate to a 5.7% interest rate. That alone on a $600,000 loan will save you almost $1,100 a month. Exactly. Okay. Mm-hmm. Then year two, it goes from a 6.6% to a 7.6%, or sorry, 5.6% to a 6.6%. Now year two, you're saving, call it $400 a month. The goal is to buy time to then refinance when rates mm-hmm. do come down in 2025 or 2026, whenever it is, and then lower your monthly payment that way. Here's what I, th- I think as we're, as we're talking about it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's interesting to me, right? So we talk about strategy. The whole purpose of this is, okay, I'm going to list my house. It's been sitting. How do I avoid that from happening? Yeah. The, the number one uh, topic we just talked about is, hey, we're going we're gonna to list it $800,000, but I'm going to offer a seller concession if you give me a full price offer at the jump, right? Because I know mm-hmm. I'm willing to take a certain amount of hit on this house in order to get it sold. So if I do that, let's say, you know, I want to I wanna look at it and I want to say, okay, well, I don't want to just throw out an arbitrary number, right? Like, yep. oh, I'm going to 800,000, I'm going to give 15,000 in concessions because that mm-hmm. may or may not matter to people. The way to go about it is you talk to your lender and your seller's agent will have a lender and say, hey, so mm-hmm. what's the average right now down payment on an $800,000 house that you're seeing in the market? Well, the average down payment is 5%, mm-hmm. okay? 
So 10% down payment is 80,000, 5% is 40. So the average loan on an $800,000 house is 760 grand. Let's just say for argument's yep. sake. Well, Mr. Lender, at $760,000 loan, how much does a 2-1 rate buy down cost me as a buyer? It costs you X amount, $17,500, let's say, right? Just for argument's sake. So now you know, okay, at 800,000, I need to offer at least 18,000 in concessions for it to make sense for a majority of the buyers that are putting down 5%. That's that's the only way to make it make sense. Because if I give 10,000, it doesn't really meet my criteria. Mm-hmm. If I give 18,000, I know I can use that 42-1 buy down with no questions asked. Yeah. That's the way to do it. So mm-hmm. now that's where you get that number. It's a $750,000 house, same same concept. What's the mm-hmm. average down payment? It's this. So the average loan is this. What's the average rate buy? What's the rate buy down cost at this amount of loan? That's what I'm going to offer in concessions off the bat or off the jump so I can get people to come in and take a look at the house. Yep. The second way to do it is you don't offer that. And let's say you're at 800000 and you go, our plan going forward, if we don't get offers, we don't have a ton of open house visitors, we don't have a ton of home tours, et cetera, is we're going to decrease the price by 3%. Every three weeks, mm-hmm. okay. So, seven hundred thousand. You're talking what, twenty one thousand mm-hmm. dollars, right? Every week, every three weeks, we're gonna we're gonna decrease it by twenty one. Or arbitrary number, I'm gonna decrease it by five thousand dollars. Yep. Every two weeks that we don't get an offer. And that is a great way to prod the market, mm-hmm. right? That and that's basically what you're doing when yep. you do that. Is you're going okay? Well, my price point didn't fit here. I didn't hit. I didn't hit my 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 buyer pool here. Let's see what this. Let's see what this price does. Let's see what this price yep. is, right? You're essentially trying to find the balance of when exactly. buyers are going to jump in and say, okay, this now makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. And, and you know, obviously, guys, we're, we're outlining, you know, one strategy that out of hundreds. But the main thing is, in a market like we're seeing today, you have to get creative. You have to start thinking of different options, right? I'm working with a client right now that on, on one of the properties that he's looking at, they're offering an assumable FHA loan. Okay, so he called me at first and he goes, he told me about it. And I was like, I don't know, man, that those are pretty hard to do. I don't know. But these people are in the situation where they need to get out. Mm -hmm. They they need to sell this house so they cannot let this house sit on market for a a long time. So, again, coming up with creative options. And yes, assumable loans aren't fun to deal with. Mm -hmm. But now buyers have the opportunity to get a $460,000 home at a 3.1% interest rate versus 7.5. Think about the difference in those monthly payments. On average, right now, if you apply for that property at 465, you're lowest before HOA, before home insurance, everything. You're looking at Mm $3,300. But because they got creative and they can assume that loan, these monthly payments on that house are looking around 2,080, 2,030. That's significant. That's $12,000 a year. You know, for some Americans, that's a third of a yearly income of a difference. So, you know, it, it, the main point of us talking about strategy and selling a home in this market is just telling you that from day one, from the moment that you decide to list your property, understand that you have options of, you know, playing with assumable loans, playing with concessions. You, you have the option to make it work. And just because other properties are sitting on the market doesn't mean that your property is doomed or you are doomed. If you have a good agent that works with a great team, you have an opportunity still in this market to sell. And again, it's not everybody. It's not everybody's cookie. It's not everybody's time frame. But you have the option. There's still ways to do it. 
So here's something I'm just I'm thinking of, right? And I have I've yet to see this happen. But to me, it makes actually as we as we talk about just creative ways to gain interest, right? We talk about so let's say I want to. My limit is like I don't know on a seven hundred fifty thousand dollar house. My limit is I want to go the lowest I'll go is like six seventy five mm-hmm. as a seller. Okay, so that means you know we're gonna sit there and we're gonna we're gonna drop the price from seven fifty to to six seventy five. I don't know, $5,000 every two weeks mm-hmm. until we get somebody that it makes sense, right? Well, in my head, if I'm a buyer's agent and I'm looking at these price drops, right? Mm-hmm. I'm going, okay, well, they're, they're desperate. They're we'll willing offer, to work. We'll wait, we'll wait for them to price drop. And then I'm going to go in and I'm going to ask for concessions on top of it because that's what, that's what matters to my buyer mm-hmm. is concessions, right? A $10,000 price drop in a house doesn't mean shit to a buyer. No. It really doesn't. No. But if I can get ten thousand off and I can get five to ten thousand in concessions, now it's a win. Mm-hmm. If I'm a seller and all things are equal, there's limits, right, to how much concessions you can give as a seller to yes. a certain buyer based on their down payment. Mm-hmm. So if you just take the bare minimum, anything under ten percent, right, you can contribute three percent of the purchase price of the house in concessions. Yep. So for easy math, let's say it's a seven hundred thousand dollar house, I can contribute twenty one thousand dollars in concessions mm-hmm. total. Why in God's name, follow me here, would I not say at 700000 every three weeks we don't have an offer, instead of doing a price reduction, which is going to mess up comps for your neighbors, I do a concession. And I say week one or week three, I'm going to give you $7,000 in concessions at 700000 Week six, I'm going to bump it to 14,000. Week 9, I'm going to bump it to 21,000. This does two things. Number 1, makes it really real for the real for the buyers because mm-hmm. they're seeing true monthly savings. Yep. Okay? It doesn't affect your out of pocket as a seller mm-hmm. because your net proceeds are the same. The third thing it does is during the inspection period, it actually gives you some more leverage as a seller. Yep. Because more often than not, Buyers will take that, let's say they take $14,000 in concessions mm-hmm. right off the top. Mm-hmm. Well, if they go into the inspections, they start asking for different things. And now it turns into a repair issue. Sometimes repairs are cheaper than giving concessions. Yep. You can only contribute a certain amount total throughout the transaction, $21,000. So now you have leverage to say, hey, here's the deal. I already gave you fourteen grand. i will give you another four. That puts our total at $19,000. We're buttoning up against that limit because your down payment's only 10% or less. Mm-hmm. And if you want to repair the rest, we're going to, how much do you want this house? And it actually, in a non-competitive market, gives the seller a little bit more of an advantage in mm-hmm. negotiation because now, let's say they can't get concessions because they are at that limit. Mm-hmm. You now get to choose the person that does the repairs and you can shop around for the cheapest person to do it. Or you can say, hey, here's the deal, guys. If we want to close on time, I don't have time to do this. So I'll give you the extra 4000 You get it done. Mm-hmm. But anything on top of that, we're going to push close out. Yep. Well, I don't want that to happen. Okay, well, I've already given you 14 plus another six. Take it or leave it. Mm-hmm. Now, all of a sudden, the power shifts back even though you're in essentially a buyer's market. Yeah. Absolutely. I have not seen that happen before. No. In all the houses, I have not seen somebody escalate concessions. I've seen them escalate the price drops. Mm-hmm. Am I giving away a secret now? Fuck, I think I just gave I, away a I, secret. I did. You're welcome. Yep, yep, I, but I think you did. that's my point, right? Because now I'm sitting there and I'm telling every single buyer, hey, I'm going to save you at a $7,000 concession increase on the same purchase price, I'm going to save you $800 a month for the first two years. 
on a $14,000 increase in concessions on the same list price. Now I'm going to save you $1,100. Buyers will jump at that and go, holy shit, I can do a 2-1 buy down. They're going to give it to me as long as we offer them 700000 bucks. Mm-hmm. And not to mention the fact that as your house is on market, you're not, their price decreases aren't happening, so you don't look as vulnerable, right? Obviously, that's time frame. If you're on market for 100 plus days, you're, you're Correct, but I, you're my labor. contention is if I lower the price by $14,000 yeah. versus keeping the price the same and giving 14000 in concessions, uh, yeah. that house is going to sell faster. Oh, absolutely. And you have more, like you said, you have more playroom, right? So, wow. Chess, baby. That was, that was exactly. But again, case in point, agents. Yes. <laughs> agents. Yep. And we have people, real estate agents, are, they're not worth their money, but whatever it is, case in point, right here, we just gave it to you for free. We did give it to you for free. <laughs> right? Like, and if you're an agent, there you go. You're welcome. Just, just up to your Well, and I'm curious, like, if you guys are agents out there, I, I want to know, like, mm-hmm. why have we not seen more of this happening mm-hmm. as rates are continuing to stay elevated? I, I, I've said it before, but I, I, it's just greed. I'm, I, that's what it is. Everybody well, you know what? Here's for, the deal. I'll give you guys another tip. Okay? Check this shit out. <laughs> ah, zoom in. So let's say I'm a seller, Okay. And my agent says, well, hey, here's my plan. If I lower the, I'm going to give this to you guys for free. Yep. If you lower the price, so let's say you're concerned about paying your agent, right? Because commission's always a fight. Let's say your plan is to lower the price by a certain amount every single time, every three weeks or whatever it is, right? Every time I lower a price, then the seller's agent's commission, the commission goes mm-hmm. down because it's yep. based off the purchase price. So let's say a seller does come to you. Let's say it's me. And I say, hey, here's my plan. Okay, I'm going to lower the, the commission or I'm going to lower the, I'm not going to lower the price. We're going to increase the concessions. Here's something you can add into your contract. All you have to say is the commission is not payable on the concessions. Didn't you just run into something like that? I might have. Oh, I, think and, you know, so. I thought it was genius, right? Because right? yeah. <laughs> in my head, as an agent, yeah, it might cost me three, four hundred bucks, whatever. But if it gets the house sold... If you're a seller and you're like, man, I don't want to, I'd rather lower the price because it's going to save me money on commission. But if we do the concession route, my house is going to sell faster, but I'm still going to have to pay commission on the full price of the house. Mm-hmm. Talk to your agent and say, hey, can we do it this way? We'll offer a concession, call it $10,000. But if my house is listed at six eighty-five, dollars I only want to pay commission on the six seventy-five. You guys can absolutely do that. Mm-hmm. That is an agreement. I agree with it because yeah, I should not be getting paid more if we're taking a concession to sell your house, I'll, I'll be the first one to say that. Yeah, absolutely. Because our whole job is to sell the house. But you can put that <laughs> in an offer or a mm-hmm. counter offer and say, yep, we're good on the $10,000 in concession. We're going to give it to you, but we're only going to pay commission on the net sale, yep. not on the agreed upon purchase price, which would be six eighty five seven hundred. dollars If the net sale is six eighty five dollars 15000 then the commission is going to be paid on the six seventy. dollars Hate me if you want Those other are, agents, but I'm just say, saying, like that's, I, I, to me, to say is that you just got two nuggets of information yeah. at the end at the end there that could could net you thousands of dollars. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that but again, that's why we do this because as I experience more people and I talk with more clients, it is becoming very obvious, almost painfully obvious that the standard consumer does not know enough to protect themselves in the market. Correct. And by having, you know, things like this and access to informations like this, it puts you one step above that person next to you that just hired the Redfin agent that was put up, given to them by the website, right? And, and so first off, thank you guys for watching. And, and the other thing that I, that I really want to kind of hone in on is if we're talking about something and we start talking and you're getting lost, mm-hmm. reach out. We're not going to charge you to have a conversation. No. 
You know, we're we're now at over uh, almost we're almost at two days worth of free content that we put out around real estate. We want to talk to you about this. We want you to be yep. prepared. So please, if you're confused, if you have questions, reach out and ask us. Uh-huh. That is why we are here. That's why we're doing it. Yes, we get to enjoy bourbon and do it. But at the end of the day, we're here to help you and make sure that these transactions go smoothly. You make the most money. You save the most money if you're a buyer. That's why we're here. Well, we want to provide value. That's, exactly. that's the biggest thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like if the real estate market stays healthy, regardless if it's us that you guys use, that's good for our industry, which means we get to keep doing the thing that we really like to do. Yep. Right. And, and if, if, if part of that is us giving you guys free information, such as if you're taking concessions, understand as a seller that you are still paying commission on the full price of the house, have your agent write it in the contract that you will only pay concessions on the net sale, not the full price if concessions are part of it. Do you guys want the verbiage to that? Reach out, let me know. I have no problem giving it to you. Mm-hmm. I think it's only fair. Right. Yeah. We want to give that information to you guys so that you can use it, whether you're listening to us from Colorado or North Carolina or New York or Wyoming. Nobody lives in Wyoming, <laughs> Alabama, Montana, whatever. Right. Like that's that's the whole purpose. And, and to summarize what we talked about, we when we're listing houses, there's three things that you guys should focus on pricing, marketing and a strategy once you're actually already on the market and you're not getting a ton of traction. Yep. And I think those three things, if you take what we said and apply them, they work in any single market. Even in competitive markets where rates are low, mm-hmm. you're just gonna get more offers, yep. which means you're gonna make more, mm-hmm. right? So hopefully in those three arenas that we talked about, you guys found something useful. And like and comment, let us know if they were useful, if they weren't. I have a feeling some of the things we just talked about haven't been talked about in a minute mm-hmm. uh, or for ever, free. At least. I have not seen it <laughs> and at least not for free. Yeah. Um, yeah. And as always, you guys can reach out to us, but yeah, mm-hmm. I, I agree, man. Like if it, if, if we're moving too fast, we're saying things that don't necessarily make sense. Shoot us an email, send us a text message. Mm-hmm. I have conversations about this every single day with people that are not buying or selling. They're just curious. And that's why we do what we do. Mm-hmm. I, I, I enjoy talking about this kind of stuff. Absolutely. All the time. And I mean, it's, I think now, is a perfect time for the One Rock takeaway for today's episode. Whew, man, there's so many. Heavy, there's heavy, so many. heavy episode. Oh, man. It was great. Do you want to go first? or? Yeah, go I'll, I'll go first. Right, cool, I'll go cool, first. Cool, cool, cool. You guys know me. I, I take the, the, the more emotional human element when it comes to my One Rock takeaways. And this one may sting a little bit, but I guess if I can, if I can structure it and say it correctly, practice humility when it comes to pricing your home. And what I mean by that is we all know that you want to make the most money off of pricing your home. We all know that that's the end goal of selling your house is to make the profit. But when you're selling your house, play the game, right? Mm -hmm. Accept the fact that, yeah, I may not get the total price that I want for my house, but I'm still making more money. I'm still making money on this purchase. And at the end of the day, it'd be nice to have an extra $2,000. But if that $2,000 or $3,000 is going to save you from sitting on market and not being able to move, just do it because that's the end goal of selling your house. And yeah, $2,000, $3,000 would be nice, but at the end of the day, the the whole point is selling your house. So explore avenues, explore options, understand that you're not always going to get what you want for the house because at the end of the day, you don't know what your house is worth because you're not in the market. You don't know the market like people in the industry do. And that's not me saying that, oh, I'm smarter than you. It's not that. I pay attention to the market. 
I read countless articles and blogs and, and specialists. Most real estate agents that continued are good education. should exactly yeah. continued education. We have to go through 24 hours of courses every year to stay up to date on it. That's what separates it. And I know people don't feel certain ways about it, real estate agents, but we are specialists. You wouldn't go to a doctor and say, Hey man, you don't, you don't know what you're doing. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to go to Joe Blow in, on the corner. You wouldn't go to a chef and say, Hey man, that caviar doesn't belong on there. You wouldn't, right? So just take some humility and understand that there's people that do know more than you, especially when it comes to the real estate industry, and they have that knowledge specifically to help you. To piggyback off of that, use this podcast to ask the tough questions of the agent you are working with. Mm -hmm. Because we can say that we're knowledgeable and we keep up to date on the market and you know we constantly do things to expand our education and uh, you know, our knowledge on the subject, we can't speak for everybody else. So part of the goal of this is to make sure that if you guys are working with somebody, to give you things to think about, to ask them, mm -hmm. to make sure that it's the right fit, right? And if it's not, go find somebody else. That's the beauty of this business. It's a contract. The buyer can cancel it whenever the damn well please, as long as they're not under contract on the house, mm -hmm. right? So hopefully that makes sense that you guys take some of the things that we talk about and say, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to ask my realtor that and see what they say. Mm -hmm. That's it. My rock takeaway is I want you guys to get very, if you're looking to list and sell your house, get very granular and very specific on your goals and then articulate those goals to whoever you plan on working with so that you're both on the same page. And what that will do is it will make putting a plan and a strategy in place so much easier it will allow you to set your expectations. It will allow your agent to clearly set their expectations. And the overall transaction will be faster. It'll be smoother. It'll be more profitable if you know exactly what you are trying to accomplish. That's it. Communication is key. That's it. Communication is key. Yep. That's right. That is right. And whoo boy, I am so excited. <laughs> To move into this bourbon review. How do we do the bourbon reviews again for those of the, the maybe the new viewers? So if you're new here, welcome. But our rock rating um, for bourbon is based on how many rocks you would put in the bourbon, right? By so rocks, we mean ice cubes. People. Ice cubes, yes. Don't not actual rocks. geological rocks. Well, I don't know. They have those. They have those those frozen rocks that you true, could drop in. True. You know, I don't the, love those. Uh, the whiskey stones. Yeah. Because yeah. like, if I'm gonna drink something neat, yeah, then I'm gonna drink it neat. I don't need it cold and neat. I just need it neat. True. You know what I'm saying? True. Because otherwise, like, those stones don't give... If you guys don't know what we're talking about, they're essentially, like, ice cubes, but they're in the shape and texture of a stone. Mm -hmm. But they don't give off a flavor. They don't melt. They don't melt. Mm -hmm. So the entire purpose of them is to keep your whiskey cold. Cold. Which, if I'm drinking whiskey neat, nobody's pulling a bottle of 10-year Basil Hayden out of a freezer no. and then pouring it in a chilled glass. Well, I mean, at the end of the day... So it I've would, never really understood that. It would constrict more of the flavor. Which the whole so, point of so why do they up. exist? comfort people I, but I right just, yeah I just like i have some like yeah. my my father-in-law gave it to him was like what the fuck why why yeah. love you but <laughs> the fuck is the point <laughs> I'm of this put, i'm gonna put that in like yeah. cool now i just have rock literal rocks in my glass yeah. yep <laughs> and and i'll be honest with you it's when it comes to our rock rating this is it's on a scale of one They're to like ten salt rocks are like flavored different story like a slow release capsule <laughs> that's different it just but slowly just releases a, caramel all and it is into is the just bourbon. a flavorless piece of <laughs> it's a rock. cold substance it's, a rock. it's, it's just a rock it's all fucking it is. stupid just go dumb. clean a rock off the ground put it in the freezer and put it in your bourbon <laughs> exactly. but at least you get the minerals <laughs> right you get something from it yeah um but that's what our rock rating is we 
we just ba we basically use that to, to rate the bourbons on a scale of one to ten. Very rarely do we get bourbons that go, I would yeah. say, above. One rock, just the less rocks means the better, the more enjoyable the bourbon is yes. with less interference from water or anything like that, mm -hmm. right? So a good bourbon, you should put one rock or neat, and a bad bourbon, you want to water the shit down out of it because mm -hmm. it's just unbearable. All right, and today, the the one that's on the that's in the hot seat, that's on the shooting block, the chopping block, is the Basil Hayden Ten Year. And the reason I say it like that is because, like I said, this is something you're going to get charged thirty plus dollars a pour for in bars when you go to have it. Um, interesting. <laughs> I mean, it it's opened up. It it has. It, it has. definitely opened. It definitely. I'm trying opened. to think of the last ten year we had. I think it was. Um, I had it. I'll have to go back to the episode. I was going to say, I just... At the end of the like, we need a board. Even the, the... We need a board. We need a board. Even the nose. The nose add a little bit more spice. Mm -hmm. I feel there's a little bit more burn, which would make sense with the opening up because obviously the, the alcohol molecules open a little bit more. Definitely a little bit more on the nose. Not as sweet on the nose after it opened. This, this one's hard for me. Uh, I, I can't. I can't lie to you. This one's hard for me on a rating, only because of again. I know what market value is of it. Like as far as what you're going to pay for it. So Jim, let me ask before I do it. What does this bottle cost? What does this bottle run? What would you pay for it? How about that? Spin it back on you, boy. It's 80 proof. It's a small batch, a 10 year. If I were to just base go based off of those facts. Mm -hmm. Without tasting it, 60 plus, I would say. What's the most you pay for it? The most I'd pay for it, uh, it's 65 to 70. Okay. It, at that. <laughs> the most I'd pay for it. But again, if I was going to get it. Um, 75. 75. Okay. Look at me. <laughs> 75. Look at me. Yeah. Um, no, it's honestly, at that price point. It's one of those things where it's like, I definitely think that they've done a phenomenal job of marketing, of branding. Sure. Um, I don't think that the, I don't, I don't think the flavor, I, I don't think that the juice holds up to the price point mm -hmm. for the so other So the things. juice is not worth the squeeze. The juice is not worth for the squeeze. For any of those girl next door uh, <laughs> fans. Yeah. I, 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 with this one, I, I don't, I, I wouldn't, I, I don't think I'd buy this bottle for 75. I'd, I'd go, I mean, shit, Dexter was 60, 64, right? So it's... <laughs> higher proof way more complexity again phenomenal job of marketing but it it opened up well for what it is um i don't know about you but did that sweetness punch more mm -hmm. as it opened mm -hmm. it feels like almost like the sweetness overpowered the original complexity agreed right yep very vanilla uh, the, forward the, to me the burn's gone completely yeah like it, mm -hmm. it is gone yeah there is no burn mm-hmm and I mean, I, you know, this is my second pour, but at the same time, it, we've, we're going on now for an hour 20. Yep. That's, I would, you would still feel a burn from, from a sip, but it's, it's not there. Even on the, even on the breathe through, if you do like a, if you keep it in your mouth and you breathe through, you don't get it. The burn is there on the sip, not on the tongue. And then that, that sweetness just way overpowers it. I almost preferred it. Not yeah, open on the on the neck pour. Yeah, yep. yeah, not open mm -hmm. because of that. Um, based on price point and and what it didn't do or what it did do as it opened, 
Um, honestly, I, I want to, I think I'm going to give this a five. Really? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Okay. I, I'm sorry, but no, I get marketing. I, I, I just price I, point 10 years. I tried to, I tried to uh, predict and I was wrong. Yeah. I, 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 I don't know for, for $75 for a 10 year bourbon looks beautiful, but it's just not the bourbon sip that I would expect from a $75 bottle. That's 10 year aged. It's, it's for people who like bourbon. This is way too sweet. Like, uh, yeah, so that I'm going to give it five. <laughs> Where are you going, bud? <laughs> so I, I've always been a fan of Basil Hayden as like just a sipper. Yeah. Right. Like it's a little bit more expensive. Like, you know, I, I compare just a standard Basil Hayden um, to like Larceny, but mm-hmm. like 15, 20 dollars more expensive yeah. for some reason. Uh, Basil Hayden toasted is good, but I think Elijah Craig toasted barrel is phenomenally better. Mm-hmm. Um, I was excited by the color yes. of this bourbon. Absolutely. I don't feel like the experience matches the color. Like the color I, gave me the real color high looks hooks. ten year. You know what I mean? The color looks ten year. Correct. The, the taste, taste is three. a three. Yes. Mm-hmm. So because of that, and the fact that it is seventy five, I like I I would almost want to do a blind taste test between this and basil hayden toasted okay because to me the palettes are very similar mm-hmm. which should not be the case no not for a t- i mean the, not for a 10 year no this should um, be way way more yeah. oaky so my rating on this i'm sorry basil hayden six and a half i'm um, done with it based on the price and the 10 year mm-hmm. if this was a three year and it was just a like a like a basil hayden single barrel mm-hmm. i think it'd be closer to a four and a half five yeah it's easy to drink it does have some complexity to it but it kind of dissipates mm-hmm. as, as you go through um or i would change the rating if they would have made this 100 proof yeah absolutely that i think that's a completely mm-hmm. different story i think making this 100 proof would a, change it completely. if it was 100 proof i think my rating would be like a four and a half five yeah but the fact that it's 80 and it's 10 year mm-hmm. i don't know i just like i'll wrong, drink it, it sits right wrong. I'll drink it. Yeah. But knowing that I spent 75 on it mm-hmm. makes me feel a little queasy on the inside because yeah. it's just not. And you made a great point. Dexter is 100 proof. Mm-hmm. I think it's four years. Yep. Um, but it's 65. And I would choose that day in and day out. Mm-hmm. No questions asked over this. Yes. Anytime I saw it. Absolutely. Smoke wagon uncut and filtered. Done. Mm-hmm. Smoke wagon small batch. Done. I'll take it. Mm-hmm. Elijah Craig small batch. I think I would drink over this. Yeah. And Elijah Craig small batch is also a four year. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I just I feel like they try what they tried to do is I think they tried to cater to a very very wide audience mm-hmm. by making it unoffensive. Yeah. And for a bourbon drinker, <laughs> we talked about it. I want to be smacked. You know in what I mean? Face. Yeah. If with a ten, <laughs> maybe year, not one hundred thirty-five. But dude, with a, with a ten, like I, my expectations on a ten-year are way different than a three or a four-year or yeah. even a single barrel. Yeah. And I get none of that. Like no, I, this, this is way too sweet. Yes. To be a ten-year, to have sat in an oak barrel for ten years. Yes. And now, especially that it's open, I'd be curious to see what it, what it is with a drop of water. Oh my god, it would be sweet. Just regular basil hayden. Yeah. Exactly. So, it, yeah, yeah. Sorry, Basil Hayden. I, no, it's, it, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, you lower your price. Yeah. Make it a little bit more affordable. Your toasted barrel is like 49, mm-hmm. 50. Make this 60. 
Yeah. And we can talk. But 75, yeah. 78 mm-hmm. bucks? Yeah. No. No. Mm-mm. Not going with it. Nope. Not going with same. it. Same. Not vibing. Same. I like it. We're on the same, same on the same yep. page. I was actually on a different page. I was you were a high. point and a half ahead. Yeah. I, was, I just yeah. I, I was excited for a ten year. You're right. We've only had one. Mm-hmm. And it was I got Oscar brought it, I forget what it was. Yep. And it was very good. Yes. Um this is not that. No. Mm-mm. Very I, I, I underwhelming. It's a mm, I don't yeah, I don't want to be harsh. <laughs> but like it's it's a poser. Yeah. It really Ooh, is. That's a good way to put it. You know it. what I mean? That's like, a good way. It you looks, bring this it, it to a bunch like, of non... Walks like a duck, talks like a duck. Yeah, you bring this to a bunch of like non-bourbon drinker friends. And mm-hmm. I have this 10-year-age bourbon. Yep. Like, oh, my God. And then they taste it. Mm-hmm. And they are not bourbon drinkers. Like, oh, my God, this, this is, is what great. bourbon tastes like? This is fucking fantastic. Mm-hmm. But you bring it to anybody that's tasted any bourbons. I, any high-level bourbons? They'd laugh 10 years? Yeah, they'd be like, what is this? Especially if you let it open a little bit. Like putting this in, de- in a decanter, or dude. Compare this it. to the Buffalo Trace we had the other week. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Not even fucking close. I would say that the sweetness is competitive. Yeah. To the Buffalo Trace, but and Buffalo Trace is forty four and a half percent. So yeah, wild, I'm, wild. I'm not gonna lie, dude. Wild. I'm de- I think that's why my rating six and a half. Yeah. I'm disappointed. Yeah. Just by the label. I'll drink itself. it. Yeah, absolutely. Because I, mean, I have hard spot. days at work, but I'm disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Well, guys. Thank you so much for joining us on another episode. Remember, yep. you can catch our episodes every week on YouTube, Living in Colorado, The Mile High Perspective. And we are both Fathom Real Estate agents here in the state of Colorado. So like we said earlier, please reach out, ask us questions. We're not going to charge you for it. Also, we love talking about it. I want to make this point too. If you guys are watching this, so we have a nationwide network of agents we work with. Mm-hmm. And one of the things we do, and I just did this with a client in California, uh, if you are looking to move out of state, but you like what we say, and you want us to still help you, we can still help you on a referral basis in any of the states in the nation. And the way we do that is we will vet agents by asking them questions, putting them through the ringer, making sure that they are a good fit for you. And I always encourage my clients out of state to give me a list of agents or I'll provide them a list of agents. And let's say I provide them a list of three different agents. I have them call all three and interview against each other so that it makes sense for whatever they're, you know, their scenario is Mm -hmm. um but we're able to do that for you guys in any state so i don't care if you're listening from new york obviously international there's we We got some some people across we got some people across the pond (laughs) but mainly speaking the continental united states we can help you out no matter where you're at and uh yeah so where can they find us you can find us like i said living in colorado the mile high perspective on youtube we're on apple Podcasts, spotify like and subscribe people like and subscribe like comment subscribe if you want to reach out to us you can email us at resotr at the mile high perspective.com or give us a ring to the, to the cell phone at uh, 303-578-0263. You can also text that number, guys, if you're not phone people, which mm-hmm. uh, there's a whole article on. <laughs> Most of us aren't anymore. Well, no, there's a whole article the other day on like the new etiquette of texting versus yeah. calling. It's wild. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, shoot us a text, guys. Yeah. Send us an email. Leave us a comment, whatever you guys want. And then obviously social media, we are all over the place there. Mm-hmm. Charlie, where can they find you? That Lifting Agent, Instagram, and TikTok. TikTok. We're making some ticket talks. Uh, you guys can find me at the Colorado real estate guy. That's on Instagram, Facebook, and uh, TikTok. And uh, we'll post clips of this podcast on the TikTok channel. Mm-hmm. We have our own personal pages. Feel free to reach out to us however you guys are comfortable. Either of us can help you. Oscar in the barrel can help you as well. If you guys want to get a hold of him when he's out of the barrel, it's Oscar the Realtor or yep. OscarTheRealtor.com. Yep. Uh, another great resource. And he's bilingual. So for my Spanish-speaking folk out there that need some help, Barrel Man is the way to go. Barrel Man is the way to go. Well, on that note, guys, 
Cheers. We'll catch you on the next one. All right. Appreciate Thanks for it, stopping guys. in. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Real Estate Served on the Rocks. Remember, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and for the weekly video version, subscribe to our YouTube channel at Living in Colorado, The Mile High Perspective.